Well, good morning again. It's a joy to have all of you here today. Trust that uh, God will speak to our hearts as we seek to understand his word today. I'm in the middle of a three-part series from Ephesians 4 that I've entitled A Model for How to Do Church Together. And I say a model because this is the way that God has outlined some principles for us and uh, he's given us these principles to guide and direct each of us in our local church, but every local church, of course, is different. And so the application of these principles will be unique to every local church. But this is, this is a biblical model that outlines the principles. And then as we gather together in our own unique location with our own unique group of people, we seek to figure out how do we do what Paul did to the best of our ability, what Paul says. And so that's why this is a model. And uh, I'm really hoping that uh, maybe today at, uh, during cross trainers that many of us will come and we'll discuss it. And uh, we'll continue to see what God has for us here in our local church. I opened up last week with the title of my message, Be Who We Are. And I took that from verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, Jesus has already given us unity, and so Paul says, work hard at keeping it. Be who we are. Um, we do this for the sake of the gospel, verse 1. We live our lives that are worthy of our calling, and that calling is outlined in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, which outlines for us the gospel. So the reason why we work at this is because of our love for the gospel. And then as we do so, verse 2, we do this with humility and gentleness, and forbearing patience, holding fast to the gospel truths of one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one body, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. And so that's how we be who we are. Today, I want to consider the process of answering the question, how does this work? And to do that, I want to tell an ancient parable. Um, it has to do with this sermon prop. It's called the parable of the long spoon. The story goes like this. There are two groups of people, each in their own banquet room. And on the table in the center of the banquet room is a luscious bowl of the most scrumptious food you can ever imagine. Okay? Both groups have one utensil seated at their table. Each one has one long spoon. And the first group is starving. They're dying from malnutrition. And the reason is, is because when they put the spoon in the luscious, nutritious food, the spoon is so long, they can't get it to their mouth. And because they can't get it to their mouth, they're starving. And so they just gave up, put their spoons down, and they are wasting away in starvation. You go to the second room, and the people there are having a party. And they're all nutrition, they're all, uh, 
given nutri what's the word? Nutritionalized? <laughs> that's that's not the word. They're all healthy. They're satisfied. Their stomachs are full. How come one group can't feed, but the other group seems to be able to get food in their mouth? And the punchline is this. They help one another eat. I'll put my spoon in the center and I'll feed it to you. You put your spoon in the center and you feed it to me. I feed you, you feed me. We help one another succeed. And that's the title of my message today. Help one another succeed. I would suggest to you that in a healthy church, a growing church, the church that the Apostle Paul outlines for us, the principle he tells us is that when you help me succeed... And when I help you succeed, and when together we help each other succeed, we will all be nourished. That's the word, nourished. (laughs) We'll all be nourished. We'll be satisfied. We'll be healthy. We'll be strong. But it requires that we help one another succeed. Because if I feed you and you feed me, eventually we go around the church. Everybody is going to be fed. Because everybody is concerned to feed one another or to help one another succeed. And I would suggest to you this principle is clearly found in our text beginning with verse 7 of chapter 4. Read along with me if you have your Bibles. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. The Bible teaches us that the local church is like a human body. If we all think about the heart in the human body, boy, the heart is a strategic part of the human body. And it makes total sense for us as people to nourish our heart. And we nourish our heart by not smoking because smoking makes the heart have to work harder. And we always, when we want to look at the cholesterol and not clog up our artery, because that makes the heart work harder, we want to make the heart succeed. What happens when the heart succeeds? Well, when the heart succeeds, it's able to pump the blood life to the brain. Then the brain can do its job to the lungs. The lungs can do their job to the hands, to the feet. They can do their job, and they will then nurture and do the things that the body needs. If they care for the heart, the heart will care for them. That's the biblical principle of the body. The stronger the heart is, the better it will fulfill its role. And the better it fulfills its role, the better each one of the other parts in the body will be able to fulfill their role. So I suggest this take-home principle today. 
we maintain the unity of the church by helping each other succeed in our respective roles. In our respective roles. Together, we maintain the unity of who we are in Christ by helping each other succeed in our particular role. So let's look at the rest of these verses in this passage and see if we can unpack what our role is and how we fulfill it. Number one, a role in the body of Christ is given as a gift to the church by God's grace. Notice the Bible says in verse 7, each one of us. Each of us has a gift. Nobody's left out. Teenagers, you have a gift to use in the body. Retired people who are 85, you have a gift to be used in the body. As we help one another succeed in the gift that each one of us has, our body will be nourished. Second, that gift is given to the church by the will of Jesus. By the will of Jesus. Here Paul applies an Old Testament passage. And to support his point, he applies it this way. Jesus descended to the earth, to the lower parts of the earth. It's just like the town of three lakes. It's describing the same thing. Jesus descended to the earth. And when he died and rose from the dead, when it was time for him, he ascended back to heaven. And when he ascended back to heaven, what happens? He then, from heaven, gives each one of us gifts according to his will. Jesus is the one who gives the gift. I didn't decide what gift he was going to give me. You didn't decide what gift he was going to give you. But he gave each of us a gift. Many of us, more than one gift, according to his will. Now, look at, look at verse 7. Several of us may have the same gift, but in different portions. That's the word Christ apportioned it, verse 7. Okay, several of us may have the same gift. That word means measure. In this, not in the same measure. The same gift, but maybe a unique measure. I don't have the same measure of pastoral gift as, say, a guy like Stuart Briscoe or John MacArthur. But I have my measure. <laughs> and God expects me to use my measure to the best that I can ever use it for his glory. And so we need not look at the measure of gifts that God has given other people. He wants us to use the gift in the measure that he's given each of us other than the fact that we then help each other succeed in using the gift in the portion that God has given it. And so the summary is, is that God has given each of us a gift and a corresponding role in the body where that gift is developed and deployed. Which brings me to point, major point number two. 
verses 11 and 12. The diversity of gifts and the corresponding diversity of roles in the church is healthy and necessary. It's necessary that we have diversity in the local church. Paul laments in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of hearing be, uh, uh, seeing be? Paul says, we're not all the same. We're not an elementary band. We're a symphony orchestra. We're all different. We're all unique. And in our text today, Paul outlines four specific gifts that he wants us to understand in order to make his point today. He gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. But what do we mean by, uh, by these words? Well, I think it's interesting that of the many gifts found in the New Testament, these are the ones that are listed. Um, I think these are the ones he's listed because of the application that we're going to make on helping each other succeed. These are all gifts where of, given for people who are ministers of the word of God. Apostles take the word of God to places where it has not yet been taken on behalf of the local church. Missionaries. They're, they're trailblazers. They're entrepreneurs. They take the gospel where they're church planters. Then there's prophets. These are the people who exhort and proclaim. They announce. Um, to our culture at large, usually like James Dobson on Focus on the Family, he was a prophet for the family. And you know that there are some prophets for different causes in the local church, in the, the church wide. But it also might be that there might be times when people in the local church, maybe from our pulpit from time to time, the one speaking needs to be a prophet to say, Thus saith the Lord! You know? To call us and say, Whoa, folks, we've got to think about this. So, Prophet really means to forth tell, to proclaim like a herald. And then there are evangelists who spend time sowing the seed and reaping the harvest to those who believe. There's a personal focus here in communicating the word. Evangelists appeal to the individuals in a crowd and they make their appeal and challenge people one-on-one to place their faith and trust in Christ. And then there are the pastor teachers. Now, I'm going to talk about this specifically at length in um, cross-training. But let me just say this now about pastor teachers. Pastor teachers are more than just the person who is the senior pastor of a church or the youth pastor of a church. Pastor teachers are people who pastor by teaching in order to develop and nurture. That happens in Sunday school. It happens in VBS. It happens in small groups. It happens all the time. And, of course, those of you who are experts in developmental education, experiential education, you all know that the goal of teaching is life change. Pastor, teacher. And there are some who are specifically gifted in being pastor teachers. These are what I would suggest are leadership roles in the local church. 
They're gifted in communicating and teaching and shepherding according to the authority of the Bible, which takes us back to verse 1. Live your life worthy of what? The calling. Chapters 1 through 3. The gospel. So I think what Paul does in this passage is he, he, he's preparing us for the punchline, which is chapter, verses 11 and 12. He's, chapter 12, verse 12. He's, he's preparing us by saying, these people who are leaders in the church, they must be saturated with the gospel. They must be word-oriented. And if everyone is doing that, we'll become a gospel-centered church, which was what I was hoping we'd take home from last week. What is the purpose for which Jesus gave these gifts? What is the purpose for which Jesus gave these corresponding roles in the church? This is the punchline where I get the title of my sermon. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. To equip his people for works of service. To help each other succeed. God calls us to accomplish works of service. And the role of the leaders in the church, and my suggestion is, especially pastor teachers, and that role is to help people succeed in their lives. And so I have two suggestions for us to understand this principle. And it's what I would call the principle of equipping and serving. So think of these two principles together, okay? Let's take the first one. The role of equippers is to help servers succeed. The role of equippers is to help servers succeed. This is the model that Paul is laying forward for us. Now, the specific definition of the spiritual gift of leadership is really not found in the Bible. It's only found one time in in Romans 12, verse 8. It's never discussed, it's never unpacked, but examples of leadership abound in the Bible, starting with Moses and Jethro, where they talked about leadership. Uh, Nehemiah has got lots of good principles of leadership. Uh, The prophets gave great leadership. David gave great leadership. Leadership principles are all over the Bible. But here's how Paul defines leadership, verse 12, equipping. Equipping. This word means to mend a net. So if the net is not able to accomplish its purpose, what do we do? We equip it. We mend it. It's also used of to mend or to set a broken bone. So if you break a bone and your leg is no longer able to do its job, what do you do? You equip it. You mend it so it can do its job, so the leg can succeed. This word equip means to have um, uh, nurturing on the front lines of ministry. Includes the idea of training. Includes the idea of discipleship. Equipping is nurturing people who are on the front lines of ministry, who are experiencing the bruises and the injuries that happen in the rigors of serving. The focus is on helping them to accomplish the task rather than to accomplish the task themselves. See, equippers 
are the ones who focus on the servers and help them succeed, not necessarily do the job themselves. Instead of being the doers, they're the getter dunners. <laughs> That's what an equipper is. Equippers set the stage for others to succeed. And in this passage, Paul focuses on leadership that equips people, nurturing people. Organizing a fishing trip is not just meeting somebody at the start-off point and and having, okay, I got your, your route, I got your map, uh, you got your reservations when you get there, see you later. Equipping means doing all that stuff, but then teaching them how to fish. So when they get there, they know how to catch fish. That's equipping. The whole package. Helping somebody be able to do the job that God has told them to do. Therefore, the application to the local church is this. In my opinion, Christian leadership and equipping assumes that leaders, especially those who function as pastor teachers, get people involved in the works of service. They develop people. They identify. They attract people. They get people excited about ministry. They make a deposit in the life of someone else so they can serve and produce fruit. An equipper will say, my fruit grows on someone else's tree. That's an equipper. That's a leader. That's what these four places in the, that the Apostle Paul outlined says we're supposed to do. Um, I remember I was teaching this uh, material to one of our churches in our district. Uh, they invited me to come and lead their board retreat. And so I decided to do Ephesians 4 and to help them talk through and discuss this idea of equipping and serving. And one of the board members, we were going through all these different inventories, you know, where you say, you know, mark one through five, and at the end you title up your score and it measures your level of equipper. And one of the elders in their church says, well, Scott, I guess I'm just not an equipper because his score was, was low. And I, his name was Vance. And I said, well, Vance, I said, um, I said what, what do you do for an occupation? He says, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Um, and I'm also the swim coach. You're the swim team coach? Yeah. Uh, what's your record? Well, I've been coaching for about 10 years and my record is 125 and 5. I said, 125 and 5? That's amazing. How do you do it? Well, I just go around to school, and when people are in, kids are in gym class, and I see them swim, I go up to them and say, hey, I think, I think you've got some potential to be on a swim team. We've got a really good swim team, and it's really fun. And then I get them to come to practice, and then I teach them how to do the various strokes. And I get them excited. I teach them about teamwork. I organize a team, and I get them going. We go to the meets, and we win. And I said, Vance, that sounds like an equipper to me. He goes, maybe I didn't answer these questions on this survey right. So I had him take it again. With that information, he came out on the top. See, that's what an equipper is. An equipper is a person who works with people and helps people succeed. But that's not the only group that the Apostle Paul mentions in verse 12. 
In verse 12, the Apostle Paul also talks about servers. The role of servers is to accomplish the work of the ministry. It's right there in the text. The equippers equip the servers, and the servers accomplish the work of the ministry. The coach doesn't swim the 400 butterfly. The coach equips the swimmers, and they swim the 400 butterfly. I would suggest that if you are not an equipper, and not everybody is, then you're a server. Everyone is one or the other. Verse 7, each one. Each one. Both are equal in significance and importance. And listen very carefully. There is no such thing as just a server. No such thing as just a server. Servers and equippers need each other. Without the other, the other will fail. People with serving gifts want to serve because that's their gift. All they're waiting for is for an equipper to get them organized. This is the model that I'm suggesting the Apostle Paul outlines for us. And he gives us serving gifts outlined for us in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And there are lots of different gifts mentioned. I suggest that those are general categories. For example, if you have the gift of mercy, you might like to use your home and invite people in, or, or hospitality, I mean. You might, you might enjoy having people in your home if you've got the gift of hospitality. But you might also like to prepare meals for others and take it to their home. That's still the gift of hospitality. Or you might like to welcome and greet people at church. That's the gift of hospitality. Building bridges to people of other cultures. That's the gift of hospitality. It's a ministry of making others feel important, included, invited into fellowship. See, these are general categories. And so I would suggest, if you want to know what's your gift, well, I would suggest, what do you love doing? What do you do? Just what do you love doing? Well, then start doing it. Find a way to start doing it. And there are four things to think about to see if this is your gift. First of all, is it easy to be faithful? It's easy. I'm always there. I'm always doing it. I'm not worried about burnout. Why? It's my gift. I love it. Are you faithful? Secondly, are you fruitful? Is it, is it producing fruit? Are you, are, you, are you something happening positively for the gospel? Third, First, you're faithful. Second, you're fruitful. Third, are you fulfilled? Is it a fulfilling thing? Is it something that says, boy, I was born to do this? And then fourth, are you really able to say that you're doing it to, get, to make God famous? And if you are, that's your gift. You don't have to take a survey, although surveys can be very helpful. It's not necessary. Just, what do you love doing? Start doing it. Let me just make one caution, though. There are times when everyone is asked to serve. <laughs> the senior pastor sometimes needs to clean bathrooms and wash dishes. Everyone is called to serve. In fact, that's how, that's how people begin to learn how 
to be a Christian. But if a person is gifted as an equipper, and they're always going down and doing serving work, and they take away the job from a server, that's not a very good equipper. So be careful that if you're an equipper and you're always serving, be careful that you're sensitive to people who are the servers and not do their job for them. Well, here is my thesis. My thesis is that churches who successfully maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace work hard at it. They work hard at it. They understand equipping and serving. And they work hard at raising up equippers who know how to mobilize a wide variety of servers. And then they're dedicated to helping those servers succeed. And they prevent the two groups from getting mixed up. They work hard at trying to make sure that equippers aren't relegated only to serving. Because you know what will happen if you get equippers relegated to the role of server? They'll cause trouble. (laughs) They're always wanting to do things because they're naturally equippers. And they're kind of, they can be a thorn in the side of the person who's leading because they're not servers, they're equippers. They need to be equippers. (laughs) If you get a server in the role of an equipper, you know what will happen? He he or she will default into their serving mode and the ministry won't move forward. There won't be any new people recruited. There won't be any vision. There won't be anything happening with people because the server doesn't mean he's incompetent or she's incompetent. Of course, probably very gifted and competent. It's just not their gift to flow into the life of someone else and have their fruit grow on someone else's tree. And so I would suggest to you that it's worth the effort to try your best to get equippers in equipping roles and servers in serving roles and then help each other succeed. But I want to close with the voice of realism. We might think that, well, this is a good thing. And Paul, you're putting out a model that, yeah, okay, I understand your model, but this is ideal. That really doesn't work in a a smaller church like us. (laughs) I mean, we're we're just struggling to keep afloat, right? We can't be that picky on who does this and who does this according to whether they're an equipper or a server. You know, there's a lot of practical wisdom in saying that. But I think it would be important for us to understand a few things about churches that wonder about, is this really realistic? Number one, since it's in the Bible, I would suggest it's worthy for us to pray about it. It's what the Bible says. Pray about it. Lord, what do you want us to do with this? I don't know the answer. That's, that's for us as a church to figure out. That's for us to come together and to say, well, if this is what the Bible says, let's think about it. And let's have that in our, in our way of thinking. Let's, let's consider it. Who knows how God might provide for our church if we're really thinking about his model 
for doing church. Number two, there are varying degrees of application of the principle of equipping and serving. Uh, We may be able to do it really well in 50% of our church. Well, praise the Lord that we're doing it well in 50% of our church. And be thinking about, well, how can we make it maybe 60% next year and maybe 70% next year? And not get hung up that we can't be a perfect church. I've asked our board chairman to pray for me. Because I sometimes get hung up on wanting our church to be perfect. (laughs) I know we're not. I'm not. But let's let's have the model before us and think about, can we work at it? Three, equippers creating policies and setting up structures make it easy for servers to succeed. If we can have the equippers maybe maybe not be really good at training and developing and discipling individuals, how about if those who are in charge of leading our church work at making policies and structures with the view of, well, let's make every effort for us to make it possible for these people to succeed. How can we make them succeed? One of our servers in our church made me this really cool spoon. When he came to my office and gave it to me, you know what he said? He said, well, it's really easy when you have the tools. I think that's the role of the equippers. Make sure that the people who are asked to do something have the tools. The church providing opportunities for training and developing equippers can be taken outside. Like we're going to this men's conference. We're going to get equipped at this men's conference. I think that's one of the ways that we can help our men succeed. Four, doing church, or sometimes, and this is important, sometimes we can serve as equippers together when we might not be equippers individually. This is why I love leadership teams. If we learn how to come together as a team, you know, I think a good leadership team needs some servers on it. But the the overall purpose of the leadership team is making the ministry that they're leading succeed. And everybody doesn't have to be an equipper, but the team having the attitude of helping the people they lead succeed, that's the role of an equipper. Four, doing church by the principles of equipping and serving is learned, just like any other part of church life. We learn it. When I started playing the trombone, I was in an elementary school band. And it sounded like an elementary school band. But as I learned and grew and became more accomplished, one of my favorite memories back when I was playing my trombone was a four-day weekend when I played in the circus band. That was a blast. I loved playing for the dog act, you know, and the elephant act, you know. And the guys who traveled with the circus, man, were those guys good. It was really fun to play with them. I couldn't have done that if all I was was an elementary school band. So everyone's got to learn. We've got to grow. We've got to have the focus in mind of where we're headed and then take one step at a time and to grow. And I want to make you a prophet, prophecy. I'm really not a prophet, but I have a prophecy that I will guarantee you will come true. 
there will be a man who will soon join our church who will be an equipper. Eric promised me that. And he will take us and help our church to grow in leadership development, moving forward, helping each other succeed. Number five, we will work at equipping and serving for the sake of the gospel with humility, gentleness, forbearing patience. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, that's fulfilling the model of how to do church according to the Apostle Paul. My ideas, let's talk about it. Let's grapple with them. Let's figure out how to apply what the, what the Bible says for us to do. And then let's rejoice in what God has given us and the wonderful fellowship and, and, and uh, camaraderie that we experience along the way. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to really think about this text, to pray about it, and to make it part of our lives. Help us to really understand the principles there. Lord, I pray you'd give us opportunities, whether we're equippers or servers, to help each other succeed. And it's really not about us. And quite frankly, it's really not about our church. It's about you. We do it for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.